Well, we've begun a, a series on, on love, on reordering our loves. Uh, you'll find in the worship folder there uh, the, the scripture we're using this morning and uh, a place to write down some notes if this is uh, uh, something said that's worth, uh, worth noting. Uh, last week, if you were not here, I started off with a story about myself at about maybe eight or nine years old. Uh, I was a young Cub Scout uh, who managed to push a huge chunk of dirt uh, off a short little cliff, and it landed with a huge thud, thousands of pounds of dirt uh, that could have uh, seriously hurt or possibly killed somebody. Uh, and I was this little kid who just loved the idea of manipulating uh, of matter. Uh, little boys are like that. Uh, all the ladies in the room here know uh, what little boys are like. We like to build things in the morning and then light them on fire in the afternoon. <laughs> we are strange little creatures. Um, I can remember that. You can, I can think of bow and arrows that, and uh, arrows that were launched at objects that shouldn't have been launched at. Um, I can think of things that I uh, was imagining in my mind. I loved uh, manipulating matter. I loved manipulating things, uh, finding out what I could build and then finding out what I could destroy. Uh, and am I the only one? Men here? Don't look down. All right. All right. Just checking. What is it about... Uh, young boys and all of their disordered love. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at love, uh, and uh, today we're looking at rooted love. Uh, the riots in England a couple of weeks back, you may say that these were uh, young men who were politically oppressed, uh, ostracized from society, uh, and uh, somehow society owed them a bottle of vodka. Uh, you may argue that way. Uh, I would argue that they have disordered love. Uh, and, uh, and that is what causes uh, rioting like that. Uh, we live in a, uh, a, a society of fallen loves. All around you, uh, you can observe and see this. Uh, Augustine is the one that we're sort of learning a bit about. He was uh, an amazing writer and an insightful person, and he lived in the late 300s and early 400s A.D. And Augustine is the one who, who came along and said that uh, there are three ways to be sorrowful about love. Uh, the first way is uh, that you have something that you want to love, but you can't get a hold of it. In other words, you love it, but you can't own it. Right? Ever been there? Uh, is there a car that comes to mind? Uh, maybe a person came, comes to mind. Uh, you, you love them, but you can't own it. He also said that you, can, uh, you have it, but it's actually very harmful for you. You have what you love, but it's actually causing your destruction. Uh, back in 1996, there was a country western uh, song, uh, number one hit uh, by Alan Jackson. And the refrain said, everything I love is killing me. And so you can insert uh, substance abuse. Uh, you can insert a number of things. So you have it, but it's killing you. Augustine went on to say there's another way where you experience a sorrow uh, related to sort of disordered love. That is that you have it, but you don't care for it. You don't prize it. It's, uh, it's that fancy car, but you just, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it's something that someone else may prize. In fact, at some point you did prize it, but now it doesn't work anymore. 
It's not, even, it's not even on your list. You don't even notice it around the house. And so these are ways that we experience uh, unhappiness. And one of the, uh, the, the subtexts of this whole series on love is actually the idea that you're going to bump into happiness. Can, can happiness be found today? Um, there are many people who would say no. In fact, uh, some of the brightest people, some of the great writers of, 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 of literature uh, are very sorrowful, and they conclude that that, that happiness cannot, cannot happen. Uh, and then last week I introduced the idea that uh, as we have loves and we attach ourselves to something that will bring happiness to us, um, the preacher comes along and says, don't do that. Uh, says, don't love the world or the things in the world. The preacher comes along and says, stop it. Uh, change, don't do that. And so uh, Thomas Chalmers, uh, back in the late uh, 1700s, wrote a sermon uh, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And then he said, you, can't, you just can't shame people, preacher. You just can't guilt them into change. You just can't put pressure on the heart because they'll never, ever change. You can't just send them into an empty room and say, there, that's where you should be, uh, and enjoy it somehow. You can't do it. You have to give them a new affection. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind as we're, we're, we're cruising along here. Uh, and last week in the advertiser, there was an article uh, that was exactly on the subject of affections and loves. And uh, it was about university students who had to face a day-long Internet blackout uh, where they had no access to the Internet, their smartphones wouldn't work. How many of you saw this article in the, in the advertiser? Okay. How many of you know what a smartphone is? Just, I just, I'm checking it. Internet? Let's keep going through the list. I'm just, just checking. Okay. So these students had to face a 24-hour blackout of, of Internet use. In fact, they've done studies around this around the world, and this is a, a universal uh, phenomenon of when you are disconnected from the Internet, and this is particularly of college students, and it goes like this. Um, they had symptoms of addictive withdrawal. One, uh, the anxiety was universal. One American said it was like like. I was itching like a crackhead. How about that? They went cold turkey for 24 hours. An Argentine student said that they reported a dead feeling inside. And a Lebanese student described the whole experience as sickening. And these are the words that were used in this particular article. Boredom, distress, paranoia, and sadness. Thomas Chalmers was right. You can't just stop one affection. You'll fight it. You'll, you will become sorrowful. And with all of your being, you will say, no way. You'll say it to the preacher who just tells you to stop this and, 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 and no longer do this. And so for, for, for us, we are exploring uh, not only the, the disordered love, but the love. Uh, not only the, the messed up pursuits, but the correct pursuits. We as, we as Christians uh, are the recipients of the grace of God 
that has said, yes, I understand how lost you are. I understand how deeply committed you can become to things. And God comes with great mercy to reorder our lives. And so uh, at the deepest level, these students were defined by their Internet usage. It was their life. It is not just a a mere uh, way of uh, sending an email once in a while. It is actually how one lives. That's how deeply disordered we can become. Uh, It becomes your whole philosophy of life. Don't you understand that Facebook is me? It's not just a way of connecting with friends. It actually translates into my deepest, deepest identity. That's what we do. Now, that, that illustration may be very foreign to many of you. Like, oh, they're just messed up. But if, I could, if we could spend some time together, uh, we could find something that would define you, that you would, if you didn't have it, it would make you sorrowful and make you shrivel up and, and make you despair. Now, here's what I want to hold out for you. Imagine, listen, imagine this. Imagine knowing the highest good that you've been made for and possessing it and owning it. Imagine the highest good. Not, it's not a smartphone, just so you can go away, from, uh, go away from this morning. It's not a smartphone. It's not anything you can consume in this world, but the highest good. Imagine the highest thing that you've been made for, the highest pursuit you've been made for, and owning it. That's happiness. And that's the fourth idea that Augustine said. All those other three things about, uh, you know, having it but not loving it, or knowing that you love it but you don't possess it, all those other things, Augustine said, if you can aspire and know what the highest goal of life is, and then to possess it, Happiness is coming your way. So do you want happiness? Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is about this great pursuit of happiness. Uh, It starts off with a wonderful exclamation. It says, uh, it's like, uh, Eureka, I found gold. It starts off with this beautiful exclamation, uh, exclamation, blessed is the man. That's how the Psalms start. That 150 Psalms are framed by that uh, that first statement. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so we learn right up front that happiness is attainable. Happiness is there. It's held out for us. It's, it's possible. And that in and of itself is quite a statement. Uh, I was... Uh, a college student. I was not a believer, and many of you know that I was involved in theater. Uh, for two, two short years, I was involved in every theatrical production uh, at this college I was attending in San Diego. And uh, uh, most of the productions were, as you watched them, there were, there were a couple of phases you went through. Here's what happened. The first phase was excitement. You're, on, you're, uh, you're, you're, on the, you're in the script. You're in the cast. That's good. That's always fun. Uh, and then you get to know the script. And there's phase one is, oh, yeah, I know how this goes. Yeah, I know how this works. Phase two is, I don't know anything about it because I don't really get the nuances of the text or what's going on between the actors. I don't really get it. 
And then phase three is, oh, I'm starting to get it because you're watching the play from the sidelines and you're seeing the actors and you're seeing what's happening. Now you see your role and you see what you're doing. You see how you fit in the whole play. Well, there was a play where um, it was a, a, um, a play called He Who Gets Slapped. And uh, it originated in Russia. And He Who Gets Slapped was actually made into a, movies, a movie in the 1920s, I believe. He was a clown. And guess what he got? He got slapped. That was his, that was his gig. That was his shtick. All the other clowns were very, very talented. They, they could juggle. They could do all kinds of crazy things on, on bicycles and stuff. Uh, but all he could do was get slapped. And, of course, he would make it into a funny slap, a hilarious slap. And so if you came to see the play, He Who Gets Slapped, you learn that he is in love with the bareback rider. And he wants to be taken seriously. He wants to be in love, and he wants her to love him. But he's a goofy, uh, unattractive man. And he wants to be in love. And he loves the bareback rider. And then there's this young man named Bizzano. And Bizzano is another bareback rider. And Bizzano has the girl's heart. And guess who was Bizzano? I was Bizzano. And Bizzano was a, among the cast. He was a bad guy because Bizzano was stealing this other guy's love. And the more I watched this play, the more I began to see that this was a sorrowful play. It was a play that was holding out love but you can never experience it. You can never, uh, ever, never own it. And I was the source of that. And as I got involved in theater and as I got involved in plays, play after play after play had a cynical view of life. There was no solution. There was no hap And they lived happily ever after. That was all those children's books I grew up listening to, the ones you listened to. And they lived happily ever after. And the older you get and the more, more things you see, the more movies, the more plays... And there's something starts working on you, something starts impacting you, and you begin to wonder, is happiness really possible? Blessed is the man who doesn't adopt the cynical view of life. That's happening in verse 1. The very first psalm says, blessed is the man who doesn't hang out in that particular way of thinking. It's a very arrogant way of thinking, by the way. It's a way of saying I know what life's all about. I've, in all my 32 years of life, I've figured it all out. I've looked around me and I see sorrowful things. I see suffering. Uh, I see the Bazanos of the world who get the girl. And I'll tell you what life's about. Life is about scoffing at the things that God has said. Life is about being cynical. There's nothing really out there. It's the late night talk show mood. There's really nothing to get serious about, nothing to pursue, nothing to be, really be, uh, to believe in. It's sort of the Seinfeld kind of feel to life. Make a, make a lot of fun at things and make a lot of fun of people, but don't commit, any, any, don't commit in any particular direction. Blessed is the man who doesn't buy into that. Blessed is the man who isn't pridefully making conclusions about life on his own or her own. Blessed is the man who is humble at heart 
And of course now we're going to hear they turn to God's wisdom. They turn away from this disordered love of mocking. They turn away from this disordered love of being cynical toward everything. They are experiencing the blessed life because they are doing one particular thing. Look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law here represents everything that God has said. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's the revealed will of God. And from here, the one who meditates on the on the will of God, receives stability, receives consistency. They're in, on the, they're in on the secrets of life. They're in on the, why life is sorrowful. They're in on uh, what's the plan. They're, they're, they're in on things. And that's the blessed person. They meditate on this, not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just occasional. It's not just, okay, yeah, when it works for me, yeah, I'll have, it's day and night, continual. And so they are openly declaring that they are certain of what God has said by their life. They're meditating on it, they're thinking about it, and let's just pause. Uh, as, familiar, as familiar as you may be with Psalm 1, what do you meditate on? When you start a computer up, that random access memory that's always on so your software will work, uh, what's your RAM and what's being loaded up? And what, what, do you, what do you think and dwell upon? And I guarantee you that what you think and dwell upon is something that your heart has become fixed upon and you believe it will lead to happiness. And the disordered part of our, our fixations is this, is that we do not have a correct order for our loves. There's a guy next to you, imagine with me, there's a guy next to you in your, in your house or apartment or your condo, and he is, uh, he's moving around piles of dirt. You think maybe he's a little bit loose upstairs, but he just—he just—he has—he has buckets of dirt coming out of his trunk of his car, and they're just piles of dirt all around his house. You don't know what's going on. There's no plan. Is he landscaping? What's going on? It goes on for years. And finally, you—you you get the gumption up, and you walk over there and say, "What's the deal with all these piles of dirt?" And he says, "Well, come around back, and I'll show you." And he shows you around behind his house, and he has this elaborate way of sifting the dirt and finding gold. And says, you see that bucket there? It's full of gold. Yeah. And you're quite impressed. When you first thought that he was just a, a little bit perhaps deranged because he was playing with dirt, you did not esteem him. Because to commit to dirt and just play with it, you would, you would allow a three-year-old to play in dirt, wouldn't you? Sure. That, that's okay. But a, but a 63-year-old, hey, what's going on here? Right? And then you see him drive in with a brand new car from all that gold that was cashed in. And now you esteem him differently, don't you? You see him as wise. You see him as, you know what? His heart wasn't quite as crazy as I thought. He was pursuing something worthy of being a human being. 
What's at the heart of our disordered loves? Is we are not pursuing what is worthy of a human being. And we do pursue with all our hearts things that are not worthy of a human being. Blessed are you if you understand that. Blessed are you if you see, oh, I get it. I'm understanding what it means to be a human being and, and, and the highest good that I should seek after. And that's what's happening here in verse 2. Blessed is the man who turns away from all that scoffing and his meditation is on the, the law of God day and night. Well, uh, what, what's, what's he like? Verse 3. The Psalms always give us these beautiful pictures. He's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, it's not just randomly planted there. The idea here is that there has been a farmer and the tree is intentionally planted where it can find a source of water. He is like a tree put where it can find a source for its growth. And so now we move into the whole world of, uh, of farming and of, of fruit trees And we find out that this tree is growing, and it grows in the midst of drought. It has harsh things happen to it. It has difficult circumstances, but it bears fruit. Look at verse 3. It bears fruit. It's always growing, and its leaf does not wither. Remember the scoffers? Remember that group, the first group? Uh, It's not so... Like them, not so the wicked. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They're not established. They're not bearing fruit. They have no roots. Their roots are very circumstantially uh, connected to just their life and how they see things. Their roots are very shallow. Their roots are not uh, deeply, deeply connected to a, to, to a source. And so what happens to them? Well, they, they dry up. They can't stand. And the most important day to stand is the day of judgment. That's the day when you want to have roots. That's the day you, you don't want to show up like the chaff of wheat. Don't show up like that. Show up with deep roots. Now, the key to this whole thing is that someone put the tree there. Someone planted the tree there. That the tree could experience deep reserves coming from within. What are we all thinking? And I, uh, I'm at the front of the line on this one. I'm thinking happiness comes from circumstances. That's the random access memory that's moving uh, uh, around us constantly, in us. Uh, if I could only fix this, if I could only start this, if I could, if I could only, there's a, there's a commitment we have to our circumstances that is deep and passionate. It's the source for our anger. It's the source for our disappointment. It's the source for our, our scoffing. It's the source for our, um, our disengagement. Uh, you can be disengaged in the church because uh, you, you, just, you just look around and you just see human faces, the, the glorious parts of the church that, that are connected to the divine work of God. You can't see. All you see is human faces. You see my face. You're disappointed. I understand. You just, see, you just see humanity, and, and yeah, you see a cross, and, you, and, you, and you, you sing some nice songs, but mostly you see is, is the, the disappointing side of church work or church life. 
no roots that are deep, deep down to see the deeper meaning of life within the church. Uh, you see, we're tapping into where people fear. We're tapping into where people uh, find desire. We're tapping into uh, an ability to serve because you have a reserve that's, that's within you that's growing. And, that, and there's a fear among us about serving God's purposes, perhaps joining a fellowship group, being involved in the church. There's a fear, and here's what it is. I don't have the reserves to do it. I don't have what it takes. And we, we, we immediately look to ourselves. Not so in Psalm 1. Bearing fruit. Why does this person bear fruit? Because they have an endless reserve of supply from God. I, uh, I used to live, uh, Marianne and I used to live in California, in the, in the Central Valley of California, where there are grape uh, grapevines, uh, grape plants. And uh, this time of year, they're harvesting the grapes, the big table grapes that you enjoy. Um, many of those are from this area that we used to live in. And uh, those grape trees, uh, gra- grapevine, grape plants, uh, they, they experience heat at 110, 115 degrees in, the, in that San Joaquin Valley of California. And uh, grape farmers will tell you that the taproot of a, of a grape is some 30 to 40 feet long. And you look at them, and uh, they don't wither in that 115 degree heat because their taproot is so long. They are self-irrigating plants. The call this morning is to become deeply happy with the right telos, the right purpose for your life, through self-irrigation. The troubles you're having, the sorrow, the, the disappointment, in some way or another has to do with your roots. And your roots are either at the surface level or they're tapping in very deep into the soil. Now, when your circumstances are are crushing, and I am aware of some of the circumstances in this room, and they are crushing, they will blow you away. They will disorient you. You will be crushed. You will be disturbed and disappointed. And they are going to be real, and they are going to be powerful but you've got to have, you've got to have roots. You've got to be able to stand. Now, we've got to have some good news. And the good news is not rooted in how well you can root yourself. The good news is not rooted in anything you can do, but it is, it's in the one who truly meditated upon the law of God day and night, and that was Jesus Christ. No one meditates on the law of God like Jesus Christ did, the revealed will of God. No one, no one, no one has ever done it like him. And we need to be rooted in the one who was so well-rooted. Psalm 1 finds its fulfillment, not in us, but in Jesus Christ. 
he, uh, he loved the Father, and he loved the Father's river of delight, the Father's supply of help for him, the Father's strength. Uh, he was deeply self-irrigating in the Father's love. Uh, he, uh, like Psalm 1, uh, encountered people who mock. He encounters scoffers. Uh, he did separate himself from them. He did not listen to their counsel. He did not buy into human admiration and human philosophies. He comes today as our preacher. In Psalm 61, he is the preacher to those who are poor and who are downcast. He comes today as the one who brings the good news that he will give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, Psalm 61.3. He comes and he knows that we will not remain rooted as we should, but through faith in him we will be rooted forever. He comes to us to reorder our love and to cause our love to have deep roots in the mercy of God. For us to experience the deep-rooted love of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that our loves are disordered. We have lived disordered lives based upon disordered desires. And it was Jesus who had this unending supply of the Father's love the river of delights. And he came in order that you would be tapped into that reserve forever. And you know that river dried up for Jesus on the cross. And through Jesus Christ, because he was willing to give his life, he now becomes an unending reserve for you. And it is ongoing and forever. He now gives you the wisdom to look beyond your circumstances because you look to him and you see him crucified and you see him buried and you see him resurrected and you see him ascended. You, through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus, can you look past your present circumstances and say, God you are working a good thing. I look past the things I don't understand in my life and I look to the cross and what you accomplished in the cross and it's from this that I get my bearings. It's from this I get the reserves to stand in the heat. I see your good purposes working through the one that you sent. I now have a taproot that goes deep Deep, and I will not be blown away. And I now can serve you and produce fruit with my life. Thanksgiving, worship, and humility during trial and suffering are used by God to send our taproot progressively deeper and deeper. God is ordering your life to hear these very words today that you might delight in the highest purposes of your life for you and know that you possess these high purposes and you possess God himself. 
This psalm is a story about two loves, about two root systems. There's the root system that says, I'm looking around and I don't see any good, therefore there is no good and there's no happiness and I'm a scoffer. That's, the, that's a philosophy of life. And uh, it holds people captive. The other root system, the other love is, I look beyond what I see and I listen to what God has said. The hymn writer John uh, Newton writes these words. Listen to these. These inward trials I design from sin and self to set thee free, to break thy schemes for earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. Uh, That's why God is, it seems like God is pressing in on you. That's why the circumstances are what they are. That your roots would go deep. And you would say, my all is in thee, oh my God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the deep waters that are there that can feed our souls. Help us have deeply rooted love. We thank you for your kindness and grace. Amen.